All right, welcome back to the Three of Seven podcast. This is Chad. This is Blake. Hey, if you're enjoying the show and you're listening on an Apple product, please go and leave us a review. It helps us grow our audience. It helps us get the message out there and helps people find us. So Blake has come up with a pretty cool giveaway for you guys if you decide to leave a review. Tell us about that, Blake. Yeah, so if you'll go on... Leave us a review, reach out to us on Instagram, drop us a message. We're going to select one of you guys that gets a free shirt of your choice, and the rest of you guys get a 10% off coupon that you can use on there if you want to buy any other gear or stickers. Awesome, yeah, and if you guys haven't seen the shirts, they're absolutely awesome. We've got, I think, six different designs out there, so check them out on the website at 3of7project.com. Our guest today is Adam Davis. Adam is a author, a former law enforcement officer. Um, he is the director of outreach for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. And this is a great episode. We talked to Adam about writing, the power of the written word, where we can start on our own journey with writing, and really what it's done for him from a soul and, and spirit perspective. We also dig into Adam's best-selling books, Bulletproof Marriage and Behind the Badge. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this one. So here he is, Mr. Adam Davis. All right, Brother Adam Davis, welcome to the 3 of 7 podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. Oh, brother, thank you for having me on, Chad, man. This is awesome. I'm so happy you're doing this, and I'm so so thrilled that I get the opportunity to be on here with you. <laughs> Well, we, we really appreciate it, brother. And, and uh, just for the listeners out there, hey, guys, this is Adam Davis. He's our first author that we're having on the show. And I've got so many questions for you, Adam. Um, I want to start with, I think it's important for the listeners to understand uh, where, where you came from, just really quick, uh, you know, where you grew up, how you grew up, and kind of where your journey as an author started, because that's something that's really interested me is uh, you coming from South Alabama, your upbringing was probably very similar to mine, man. Yeah. And uh, where where did that journey as an author start? Um, do, do you remember a distinct moment or, or, or time in life that you were like, all right, this is it, man? Yeah. So I'll take you back to a time when I was probably five, six years old, somewhere in that age range, and my parents divorced. Like, a lot of people have over the years and uh my parents divorced and my dad left and uh it was you know whatever i've, I've got a great relationship with both my parents and step parents so uh great great relationships and um somewhere right after the time the divorce happened i was uh, sexually sodomized i was sodomized sexually abused whatever and went on it was by somebody who wasn't a family member um, older male. And, um, I carried that for a very long time, but I grew up, you know, I never told anybody about that stuff out of shame, out of guilt, you know, whatever, whatever the feeling was, it was fear, you know, um, you just don't want to talk about it. And, um, so I, I held on to that until I was in my twenties, but during all of this time, I kept on living. I was just living with some baggage. And um, so I grew up working around my dad and he has he's been in business for four decades, grew up working on cars and running wreckers and um, just a lot of outdoor stuff and um, became uh, high school around that time frame. I wanted to join the military. I always want to join the Marine Corps. Uh, they wouldn't have me. I had a cyst on my eardrum. Army wouldn't have me. Navy wouldn't have me. Air Force wouldn't have me. <laughs> Nobody would have me because I couldn't hear out of my left ear. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get a waiver. And so that was dream number one that was really crushed. But through all this time, I had been writing really just songs. Um, some may call them poems, but it was like worship songs. And it was just, you know, almost like a psalm. And I was writing them out and I kept them to myself and didn't realize what I was doing. Uh, fast forward, 18 years old, graduated high school, May of 2000 traded a high school diploma for a marriage certificate about five months later. And, um, I got married and I was jacked up. I didn't realize how jacked up I was when I got married. And, um, you know, I think that that's the story of it all is that we're all a little bit jacked up, but, but for the grace of God. 
and for his, his love and kindness. And I got married at 18. Uh, our first child was to be born about uh, four years later. And that's when I started addressing some of the junk that I had happen to me when I was a little bitty boy. And I had so much hate built up inside of me, um, so much uh, unforgiveness and bitterness and resentment. I mean, just pure hatred. I wanted to kill the guy. I knew where he was at. I knew where he lived. And um, I wanted to take him out And because um, I knew he had two kids. And I figured that based on some of the things I'd seen that he was probably doing the same thing to them. And so anyway, I had to deal with that because I knew uh, that for me to be a good father to my soon to be son, um, I had to deal with some of these things. So it was just like a step of faith. And it was step one was saying, Lord, I give it to you and I I forgive this guy for this. I forgive him. I, I want you to take this. I can't do it on my own. And, uh, that was step one. I didn't have this magical feeling, you know, overnight of complete freedom. Um, I still hated him, but over the years I've, I've done it on a regular basis. And today I have zero emotional attachment to that. I can talk about it freely. I can help others going through junk like that. And you'd be surprised how many people have been through stuff like that who don't talk about it. But that led me up to, um, somewhere around 2009, I joined law enforcement and, um, Started drinking pretty heavy. I uh, thought I had a pretty good faith walk when I got into law enforcement and realized I didn't know Jack. What it was was I knew Jack. I knew I knew a little bit. I grew up in the church. My mom remarried, and when she remarried, she remarried a, a Pentecostal pastor. And so I grew up in church. But I based everything that I knew about faith and about God on rules and regulations, on laws. And um, you can't live to be good enough to earn or deserve his goodness, his grace, and his love. And that's all I try to do. And so the 700 Club actually sent a, a film crew down last year, year before, and followed me around for two days, getting, getting the story about this. And and so I, I was in law enforcement, started drinking pretty heavy, and got to the point where I was just like, you know, if you're, if you're a loving God, then uh, why is all this junk happening? Why all the evil around us? I never doubted his existence. I doubted his goodness and I doubted his love. And uh, I wrestled with that for a while. Got to the point I was ready to give up the drinking. I was tired of drinking like I was drinking myself to death. And I traded in alcohol for writing. It became therapeutic. And uh, I didn't realize I had a gift until I started doing it. And and so that's been uh, four or five years since I first started writing. Five years and four years since my first book was released and uh, just finished book number five. So in a nutshell, there you go. (laughs) I want to talk to you as, as the expert uh, about the power of the written word, man, because a lot of times I talk about the power of the spoken word and how the spoken word, the things that come out of your mouth, you know, our tongue being the rudder of our ship and our life and how powerful those things that we say are and how much they impact our circumstance. But I want to hear from you about the power of the written word. What happens when you take things and you put them down on paper and they become real and and, and now they're part of this reality that we live in? Can you give us a little insight on that, brother? Yeah, so it became just uh, almost like, um, if you remember in in school uh, or any type of training, there, there had to be an outline in some format. There was always going to be an outline. You had to write an outline for a paper or if you're developing a training course, it's an outline, whatever. Uh, so that's sort of how my brain began to look at things. I would take uh, a topic and then I would begin to break it down uh, in small bite-sized pieces. And uh, everything that we think about is based on what we believe and what we know and what we know and believe we think about what we think about. We eventually begin to talk about what we begin to talk about. We eventually begin to act upon, which develop, uh, which dictates and determines our outgoing circumstances and, and a way of life. And so many people, um, you know, there's been some weird people take this stuff in the past and they perverted it, um, especially in the, um, 
Protestant in the uh, charismatic realms, uh, name it and claim it, just say this and God will do it. You know, that's not really what it's all about. I mean, it, it really isn't. And it's perverted. James 3, 3, one of my favorites says, we can make a large horse go wherever we, wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. My purpose initially when I began to write uh, for public consumption <laughs> was to write in a way that generated an appetite for God's word. I never wrote for theological or uh, seminaries. I never wrote for experts. I never wrote for, um, you know, the doctors. I was writing for the common man, such as myself. I wanted to write so that other people would have that hunger spark. And so the power of the written word for me was a few different things. Uh, number one is it can spark uh, an, uh, it can spark you to to think about something that you've never thought about. Uh, it'll make you uh, have a hunger. It'll, it'll generate a hunger for something. For example, my last book, Bulletproof Marriage, um, is about generating uh, ideas and thoughts on selfless love towards your spouse and uh, communication and different things. So it's about generating uh, a mindset that says, okay, well, there's something more than what we're living on because most of us live on autopilot and most of us have getting, get lazy and complacent, especially in our relationships or in our spiritual walk, our fitness or finances, whatever. Complacency kills cops, but it also kills men. Uh, we, we get very lazy and uh, we stop doing the things that work. And uh, so that's the writing. The writing is, is, is that. And then number two is it, um, there's really two things that immortalize a man. And number one is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You are given eternal life through a relationship with him. And number two is the written word. And so uh, that, and that I, I didn't quote him, but that's Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, one of my dear friends and mentors. Um, we talk quite often and, uh, he said, you know, there's two ways a man is immortalized. One is a relationship with Jesus. And number two is his written word. And so I want to write something that was excellent, but something that anybody of any background would pick up and read and it would generate a spark or some type of interest in them. And, um, I never want to force a doctrine or theology on people. What I do want to do is cause other people to experience the same love that I experienced in my darkest place. Uh, when I was ready to end my own life, when alcohol had taken over everything, when I talk about alcohol, I don't say, I'm not saying that, you know, drinking alcohol is wrong. I'm saying the way I was drinking alcohol was wrong. It had become a God. It had become what I depended on. It had become what I leaned on every day. Uh, now I can go to an event and have a couple of glasses of wine or a beer. It doesn't bother me. I'm not drinking it every night, but where I was at at the time, I, I should, I should be dead. I literally should be dead today. And, um, so, you know, what I want people to do is experience uh, the love that I felt in my darkest hour. But I think the tremendous power of the written word is, is found when we, um, don't discount what we have to offer. And, and write it in a way that anybody can get something out of it. So in, in short. That's so powerful, brother. And that's how I know that we are talking to an expert right now, because you just gave us a graduate lesson on the power of the written word, brother. There's no way I could have ever came up with an answer as, as powerful as that. I mean, you talk about how that being the one of two ways to immortalize yourself, uh, that is in and of itself explains how powerful the written word is even more so than than the spoken word because the spoken word you know is only is only everlasting really to just a, the small group of people around you that might hear it uh hear in those sound memory. waves yeah and and and, <laughs> yeah. and it's yeah and it's in their memory yeah so um gosh man you're it just motivates me so much to to sit down and put some <laughs> pen to paper man and and what, what well, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, and I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. Um, two, about two and a half years ago, I had a the gentleman who was a detective for the um, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. He contacted me, and uh, he had been diagnosed with stage four prostate cancer. Uh, married, had a son, beautiful, beautiful 
my family, a great man of faith, great man of God. I have never in my days walked with somebody through what he went through and saw them unwavered in a way that he was. He continued to love and smile and have joy in the middle of all of it, even until he died. But he contacted me and said, I've got a book I've got to write, and I've got to write it for my son. And I said, okay. And he said, but I want to make it available to everybody. He wrote a book because it, he knew that the only way that he could pass what he had down for his son was to put it on paper. We could sit and mentor and talk, but he literally is continuing to live in his son's eyes because when his son opens that book, he can talk about finances or talk about faith or talk about relationships. And he's giving, giving him all this stuff right there in the book. And if we, that was one of the things for me as, as I wanted my kids, as they grew up, I wanted people when they said, what does your daddy do? Um, I want them to be able to say something with, with a little bit of pride, you know, and I wanted to be able to touch people long after my life on this earth has ended. Mm-hmm. And that may sound a little egotistical, but I, I just wanted to do something bigger than just punching a clock 40 hours a week. I could never serve in the military. I wanted to do something bigger than me. And this was one of the ways I was able to do it. So, um, yeah, it's if you haven't written one and you got one in you. But here's the thing. Here's the challenge about writing. Um, and I study, and, and I can't remember where this study came from, so forgive me. Uh, like 200 million Americans in a recent study said they had a book in them. Like they wanted to write a book, but less than about 1% actually do. Um, 1% of people who say they have a book in them actually do it. Mm -hmm. And I talk to people all the time who have a book in them. And a year, two years later, they still haven't. If you say today that you've got a book in you and a year from now you haven't done anything with it, you ain't got a book in you. You're fascinated with the idea of a book, but you don't do nothing with it. So it takes a lot of discipline to sit down and do that, and a lot of perseverance. So, anyway, I, yeah. I love to talk about writing. So. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> it, it does take a tremendous amount of discipline, and that's that's one thing that I wanted to hit on real quick, Adam. Was how has writing transformed your life from a soul perspective? So the soul. How has writing helped transform your soul? And specifically, that portion of your soul being your emotions and your your will or your that that determination, what you want to do. So um, you talk about it being a form of therapy. Proved those emotions, that part of your soul um, that, yeah. that that we all deal with in life. So we'll talk about that first, and then we're going to talk about how it has changed you spiritually. But let's talk about the soul first. Yeah. So. I think to start with, I didn't even realize what I was doing. Um, it just made me feel better. And it was, uh, for me, it was cheaper than going to see a doc. So uh, I, <laughs> I started writing. And I've written a lot of stuff to this day nobody's ever read and probably never read. Um, it was just dumping junk out that I dealt with on the street. And um, I think for me, it created... Um, it became a form of worship. When you go to church and you see somebody up on the stage singing or you see people in the congregation singing, that's a form of worship. We know that giving is a form of worship. But we're also told that let everything we do be for his glory. And it's all supposed to be a form of worship. When we work, we're supposed to work for him, not for man. Whatever we do is all for him. So whenever I sat down, I took my shoes off because that became holy ground and that was no longer just uh, an office space or a chair. That was holy ground because what I was about to put down was all for him. And, um, and that's the way I saw it. And so it, I think that, you know, when you talk about your soul, your emotions for me, um, it almost became the, the antidote, for anxiety and for anger and, you know, uh, for, for all these other feelings of restlessness when I don't write and I haven't written in a while, but when I don't write, um, I start getting all those negative feelings and negative emotions and it's, and it's nothing bad. It's just, you know, it's just a sign it's time to sit down and write. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think for me, it just, it's a form of worship. It's, it's my song to, to the father's. It's my war cry. And um, 
And that's, you know, it, but our culture, our society today, as many people as put out, are, are putting out books, I mean, there's like 3,000 a day being published across the United States. As many people as writing, we're not reading as much. We've gotten away from reading and we've mm -hmm. bought into entertainment. We've bought into video games. We've bought into, you know, we don't grab a book and go outside anymore. We sit down and watch a stupid TV or play a stupid video game or watch videos for hours on end or, or whatever. I mean, it's all about self-satisfaction, self-gratification. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and, you know, if you do it within, mod you know, modesty, but I think one of the biggest problems is we got away from reading. And for me, one of the things that got me to the point to writing was reading and reading God's word and reading things that expanded me educationally, my knowledge base. And so, but writing became for soul or for my soul, it, it was a form of worship. It was a connection to heaven. And so that ties right into my second question was how has your writing uh, brought you, brought you closer the spiritual side of us, the connection that we have with something bigger than ourselves, and for nope. you, it's it's God the Father and Jesus Christ, and and how nope. his writing brought you closer to Him, and you can even tie the read. I like what you said about reading. How does that bring you closer to Him? Uh, yep. e either one, man. Ultimately, it because of what I write and the way I write and the things I write about. Um, ultimately, it requires me to spend time studying in depth the Bible and to go and not just go deep, but go wide. So you're pulling out the Greek history, the Hebrew, you're pulling out all the different geographical backgrounds, cultural histories. You're trying to pull out all of these different things because you're trying to get through any, uh, and this is a whole different discussion for another day that I'm not qualified for is any errors in translation. And so you're trying to really get to the heart of the writer when they put it down however many thousand years ago it was. And so when I try to do it, when I, whenever I do write, it, call, it, it requires me to sit down and dig deep and, uh, and go wide in his word and spend time in prayer. And your, your mind has to be clear. Your heart has to be right. You have to be fully equipped and ready to go because, um, you know, it's it's just one of those things that re it, it requires. And if I don't have that, if I'm not in that place, then I, I can't. I can't write. I, I can't do anything. Um, like I could sit down to try to write and I have to be in tune with him emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way. I have to be completely in tune to sit down and write. And um, it's just one of those things you have. To, but you also have to be able to work through the obstacles. Uh, if your mind's cluttered or foggy, you got all kinds of other stuff going on, you're busy, you got 50,000 other things to do, but you've got a commitment, you got to sit down and do it. And um, for me, it, it just on a spiritual side, it requires me to spend time with him. But it's really not out of requirement or duty. It's because of a relationship. You want to spend time with your friends. You want to spend time with people you care about and love. And and for me, that, that means spend time in the Word, but not out of a requirement standpoint, if that makes any sense. It makes total sense. One thing that I got from that was you take your trade so seriously. And, and it sounds like every word that you write on paper, you do the research and you want to make sure that that's the right word, the right sentence, the right paragraph um, for the world when you send it out to the world. And and thank you so much for the time that you put into your spirit and your soul to prepare yourself, because now I know when I go and read Bulletproof Marriage, when I go and read Behind the Badge, I know now how much thought and how much preparation went into that, brother. And I didn't know that before. You know, I think a lot of people. Most people look, don't. Yeah, a lot of people. <laughs> and there may be a lot of authors out there that are just writing these things off the top of their head. And and when we go and read these things, that's something that we're feeding ourselves with. So yeah. I think it's important that now I'm seeing how important it is to do maybe do a little research on the author of the book that you're that you're reading to make sure that what you're putting into your in your head, what you're feeding your soul and spirit with is good, solid information with a good foundation. Yeah. So the, the most of the criticisms that I've had have been from people who are Christians. Um, 
I get along a lot better with people who have been kicked away from the church than I do most people who are in the church. Um, and maybe it's, I don't know why, but anyway, most of my criticism would come from Christians like for behind the badge and said it was, you know, uh, super simplified or whatever it was, you know, uh, it takes you about 77 seconds to read that one day of behind the badge. Uh, I had a cop tell me recently, it was like, I got it, but I just don't have time to read it. I said, you like have a minute right now. I just want to try something. And I picked the book up and I said, you got your timer, time it. And I read it and it was 77 seconds. And he was like, touche. Like you proved your point. (laughs) So, but it's simple for a reason. It's 77 seconds for a reason because cops don't have time to sit down before they go on duty and sit down and do a 45 minute Bible study every day. They don't have the time to do it. I wanted to do something that was hot, get in, do the job and roll out. And, and it's doing it. I've got guys who've never stepped foot inside a church reading it every day. The seed is being planted every day in their hearts and their lives. So yeah, there's a strategy behind it. I don't have time to explain that to everybody. And I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share sort of my heart behind it here, but I just don't have time to sit down and respond to every single person that has something negative to say. I don't want to respond to them. I don't have time, but you know, but giving you a little insight behind it. Yeah. You know, there's a strategy behind everything that I'm doing. It's not just me. It's my, my entire team uh, and being led by the, the spirit of God on this and, and trying, you know, have we missed the mark somewhere? I'm sure we have. I'm sure we have, but uh, there's some new stuff coming out next year that, you know, if you don't want simple, you want to get this. So, but that's where we're at. <laughs> that's wonderful. That's wonderful, Adam. Yeah, you've you totally changed. You've totally changed my perspective on on how I look at a. I guess you would call a, a good author putting out sound wisdom and uh, and just allowing us to see the the talent and the effort that goes behind those words that you put on the page, brother. So, thank you so thank much you. for that insight, man. And before we absolutely. Bu- before we really dig into your uh, your books that you have out right now, I want to ask you, Adam, just for our listeners, can you give us a good place to start journey with writing? If, if you know you talked about before, there's so many people out there that say they want to write a book and maybe maybe we just need to hear uh, some some wisdom about where do we start? What's a good place from, from the expert, brother? <laughs> I don't know about expert, but here's what I would do. And uh, I've talked to several people about this. And you need to you need to have an idea. Uh, you need to make sure that the idea is not just your idea, not just something that excites you. So I'm going to fast forward through all the prerequisites of writing. Prerequisites. I can't I can't speak big words. Um, I can write them though. Um, it's, is uh, you want to make sure you have a good idea. It's validated. It's a vetted idea. Then once you have that idea, you want to sit down and you want to take actual pen to paper, not computer, pen to paper, and just do a brain brain map, like, you know, just a idea map and just throw everything down. And then you want to look at what kind of book is this? You know, is it going to be a fiction or nonfiction? Is this going to be a, a Bible study, a devotion? Is it going to be an inspirational memoir? What is it? And then uh, you want to determine the word count. Most of your nonfiction books need to be 60,000 words or less, unless it's like a, you know, biography or something, uh, presidential or, you know, something like that. But anyway, uh, for most of what we're doing, your 40, 50, 60,000 words max, uh, that, and that ranges based on the publisher. Uh, I've got people that write books, 25 and 30,000 words. So number one, look at the idea, lay it out. All right, so we're going to write about, um, let's just take uh, an idea here. Uh, okay, we're going to write about how to write a book. So step number one is how to write a book. That's our main idea, how to write a book. So now we're going to break down 12 steps and we're going to lay out or 12 or 10 or 11, whatever. And we're going to lay down idea. We're going to lay down brainstorm. And we're going to lay down uh, word count. We're going to lay down chapter formation. Uh, and we're going to throw all this on paper 
And then at the end of it all, we're going to have our chapters laid out with an outline, you know, with the title and the main idea, the title, main idea, title, main idea. And now you know how many chapters you have, how many words you need to put out. So now you know how many words in each chapter you need to do. Now you set yourself a deadline. So I want this book done in six months. So if I've got, let's just say, a 45,000-word book, 45,000 words in six months, there's we'll just say 180 days, 45,000 words, uh, if I can type, 45,000 words divided by 180 days, that's 250 words a day in 180 days. You write every day. Um, the slowest typing person that I've come across was 125 min, uh, words in five minutes. So if you take the slowest typing person, it's going to give them 10 minutes a day after they've laid all this out, 10 minutes a day to write 250 words. Over six months, they would have their book completely written. That's not editing, design, all that stuff. That's just writing the book. So 250 words a day. And when you write, don't edit. Don't go back and change anything. Write it as it comes out. Write for five minutes. Write for 10 minutes. However long it takes you to get whatever number of words you need to get done by your deadline. And, um, and so that's, that's, you know, my suggestion is to start with the idea, lay it out, write it down. And then once you get that written out, you know how many words you need to put out. Um, and you set yourself a deadline. That's so key. And then you set yourself a goal every day. You write those number of words. Um, yeah. So a bulletproof marriage or behind the badge, I wrote in eight months, but it was 105,000 words. Uh, that was, I say wrote it, that was process start to finish, this idea gathering, everything. It was an eight-month project. Bulletproof Marriage, the day I started writing to the day it was submitted to the publisher was 45 days, and it was 60,000 words. Uh, that was a while. Dude, when I finished that one, my tongue was hanging out. I was beat. And it was just one of those things that happened. It was a heavenly thing, divine thing. So deadline having a word count knowing what you want want to write about before you begin to write john acuff i believe is who i should attribute this quote to but he says writer's block is nothing more than idea bankruptcy or bankruptcy of ideas so if you sit down and write your you know you write your ideas out for the book lay out the chapters and the ideas before you begin to write then you won't have the issue of running into idea bankruptcy because you'll have everything you need in front of you. You'll be fully equipped to go into your mission and to accomplish it successfully. I hope that's somewhat helpful. You know, one thing that, that I that I think about as you kind of explain that, Adam, is it sounds like it's really important also to write about uh, something that you are passionate about because it seems like when you are – when when you're in when you're in that lane of something that you're passionate about, um, the well will never run dry. And no. and I, I I bet if you're if you're writing about your passion, whatever that may be, um, that writer's block is something that you probably have to worry a lot less about, huh? Um, I mean, it's gonna hit. It'll hit the best of them. I mean, okay. you know, and you got people that you know it'll hit the best of them if you don't. And even if you prepare, you're probably still going to experience it, but you'll be more equipped to overcome it when it happens. Um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. It's part of it. You know, you got 50,000 things going on in life. It's part of it. But people say, well, I didn't feel like writing today. And I talk to people. How many words have you written? I hold them. I hold their feet to the fire. You said you're going to finish it by this day. How many words? Well, I didn't feel like writing professional writers don't write when they feel like it. They write every day. They put their butt in a seat and they get it done. And if you want to write a book, don't tell me you want to write a book, write a book. That's the only way to do it. Put your butt in a seat and sit down every day and have the self-discipline and self-control to sit down and make it happen. And um, there's so many people that tell me they're going to write a book. So many, I can't, thousands. I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book. And two years, three years, four years later, they hadn't wrote a single letter. So if, uh, you know, that's that's the thing. If you want to write a book, hey, write a book. But don't write garbage just to write. But as you do write, as you do publish your first book and you start to move forward, your horizons will expand. Your opportunities will begin to grow. And, and so, uh, you know, people will look at you a little funny from some deep south Alabama and you just finish your fifth book. They're like, How? And, uh, you know, uh, I say God, only God. So, 
but yeah, man, it's, it's a lot of fun. I love it. And, um, I've got, I just finished number five and it's, um, it's called on spiritual combat. It's based on uh, Colonel Grossman's book on combat. It is the hardest book I've ever written because only because I was taking the psychology and physiology of uh, deadly force uh, uh, conflicts and running spiritual parallels to those. And so this book is 30 missions for victorious warfare and it'll release in 2020 uh, picked up some fantastic endorsements for it. But uh, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And, um, and then I've got one more to do with Colonel Grossman and Tay and Kyle and Tay and Kyle and I are working on two books, at least two books right now and a lot more to come, but that all began because I was obedient with one. And that first one was about 20,000 words. And I look back on it today, and buddy, I am pure embarrassed. But the Holy Spirit convicted me because of that and said, no, I told you to write it. I told you to write this. It's, it helped save lives. It touched lives. It changed people and inspired them. And it opened the door for a publisher to find you and call you for six months until they got a hold of you and offer you a book deal. And now here I am with just finished my fifth book. So uh, I, I would encourage you, even if you're not a person of faith, to be a good steward of your gift. And an idea is a gift. And if you're not a good steward of it, somebody else will be given that opportunity. And uh, you have the opportunity now to act on it. You know, I think one of the greatest things that we fail at is when we know to do good, but don't do it for lack of wisdom or lack of knowledge or lack of direction or whatever it is. Now you don't have that excuse. <laughs> Let, all right. We, all right. We got, we got to talk about bulletproof marriage, man. Um, you mentioned earlier in the conversation uh, a little bit. You just gave us a hint about where the idea came from. You said it was, it was a, a, a spiritual thing that it was a God mm -hmm. thing. Um, talk about where the idea came from. I want to move through and talk a little bit about the actual book. So um, first, yep. just where did yep. the idea come from? Uh, you, you got me uh, curious. <laughs> the idea came from, um, it was based out of a need. Uh, as a cop, I did everything in the book. Uh, hey, even before I was a cop, I did everything in the book as uh, to be a horrible husband at times. Um, I did everything by the book to destroy, by all rational explanations, I should not be married to my beautiful wife today. I'll tell you that right now. It is by, but by the grace of God. Um, you know, and uh, so I look back at some of the things I did, a lot of things I did, and I'm so grateful that I was able to look back on them and not have a negative emotion tied to them, but I was able to see, okay, well, this caused this, and if I would have done this differently, you know, and then I started talking to some different people across the country, different couples. This isn't written because I'm not a marriage counselor. All right. I'm not a marriage therapist. I'm not a doctor. Um, I wrote this from a brother to brother, brother to sister standpoint. I'm standing beside you shoulder to shoulder. And this is what I've been through. I've got the guts to sit down and lay it out and tell you what I've been through. And this is where I messed up. And now here's some solid principles on how if you're in a tight spot in your marriage, these are some ways that you can overcome that. I co-authored it with Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. He provided me with some bullet points that he uses in uh, his Bulletproof Mind and Marriage seminars. And then the Holy Spirit laid out the vision for the book. It's communication. There's six sections, I believe. Uh, communication, oneness, uh, trust, intimacy. Uh, conflict resolution and affirmations. And so I took those and I broke them down. I knew it was going to be 90 days. And I think there's 15 days in each section. And, um, you know, I wanted to provide discussion questions. And I wanted to provide a way for, um, for both couples to engage. Now, the difficult part about Bulletproof Marriage was it's written specifically for military and first responder communities. That's who it's written for. Um, you know, uh, anybody else can get it. They can read it. But if you don't know who a sheepdog is, don't pick the book up and criticize me. 
uh, is written for sheepdogs, unapologetically. It's based on uh, biblical principles for solid marriage. Um, so it's written with uh, steps and action points for both spouses. And the difficult part was I know or I knew when I was writing it that there are situations where both spouses serve. There are situations where the wife serves and the husband stays at home. And there's situations where the husband <laughs> serves and the wife works. I mean, there's so many different combinations. So I tried to write it in a way that that could meet people wherever they were at. And that was really the challenge. That was really the biggest challenge. And um, but it, it addresses the sheepdog uh, straight on. And the number one piece of feedback I get from people all across the country is that it completely changes their communication. It almost like it brings in a healing power for those communication lines that have been broke, broken down. Um, not every person gets some great big revelation out of it, but a lot of people have, and, and that's really powerful. No doubt, brother. And I think you filled a, a, a tremendous uh, space. I think there was a need for a book like that, like you said, for sheepdogs directly for former military or active duty yep. military and law enforcement. I can't th really think of another uh, another book out there that that fills that hole the way Bulletproof Marriage does, man. That's so well, awesome. And, and Tay and I are working on a couple of things. My next book with Colonel Grossman, I, I don't think it's going to be another marriage book. I do have another marriage book I'm working on. Tay and I are working on one. She brings a very powerful and unique perspective to the table. And I bring a very powerful and unique perspective to the table. Um, and so when we, and I think that's why the demand for, uh, for she and I to speak at events together have been so overwhelming is because of the two angles that we come from. Uh, you know, it, it, it's been literally overwhelming at times, but <clears throat> to know that, that I'm able to bring these resources and gifts and partner with the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation and, and just sort of pick up that momentum and run with it, man, is, I mean, we're seeing lives changed almost daily and that is crazy for me. <laughs> no doubt, brother. No doubt. I know I've, I've had so much fun following following your journey adam and, and just and just seeing what you're doing man is some amazing stuff and i want to also talk a little bit about behind the badge what yep. what what place does that fill we, we we've talked about the specific hole that that bulletproof marriage filled what is yep. behind the badge what's the purpose behind the wisdom in that book so I had uh, my very first book is called Spirit and Truth, 52 Devotions for Law Enforcement. And uh, very short, very, very short book. And when the publisher contacted me, they said, we would like you to write a 365 day devotion for law enforcement. I was like, absolutely not. I have no desire to write. A, I knew what kind of challenge it was. And so I did. And um, I did it anyway. And um, I wanted to write something that would be. Uh, that would live forever in the lives of cops across our country long after I was gone. So I wanted to write something. If you ever been to a hotel and you open that old drawer right there beside the bed and there's a Gideon's Bible laying there, I wanted you to be able to get into a patrol car. And when you get in that patrol car, you see behind the badge. It's not a supplement. It's not a, a, a replacement for the Bible. Nothing is. It's not a replacement for the Bible. But for the men and women who have no ties to any, you know, organized faith, if they don't have any desire to go to a church or if they just don't have time, then I wanted to provide them with a resource that would help them walk through their life as a, as a law enforcement officer, as a sheepdog. And so that was sort of the mission behind it was to provide something that would live forever in the lives of our cops. And, um, it has it released May of twenty May first of twenty eighteen and by you know about a year later it's already supposed to be something that's fallen by the wayside and it's still selling two and three hundred copies a week across the country. I mean like but we're still we hadn't scratched the surface. We hadn't tipped the surface. There's almost a million cops in America and um 
I want one to be available for every single cop that that serves today. You know, that doesn't include retired cops, former, you know, whatever, former law enforcement. You know, so there's a huge, huge mission there. And I didn't want it to be something that was dry. I wanted it to be something that um, that breathed life. You know, uh, one of my one of my dearest friends from years past, I hadn't talked to him in many years, speak life, give life, you know, and and there's it's easy to hate. It's easy to speak negatively. It's easy to speak critically. It's easy to speak evil because that's our natural tendency. It's hard to speak life and it's hard to love people who don't love you back. And so when I sat down to write it, I wrote it for a person who absolutely hates me. It was a, it was a former cop. I wrote it for the person, for the old, hard, crusted, just evil, mean person that hates God and hates people. And that's who I sat down and wrote it for. And I wanted to penetrate the hardest of hearts, wherever they were at. Uh, it's not fluffy. It's, you know, um, there's some of it may be. It's not about making you feel good. It's about generating a hunger and appetite for, for a relationship with Jesus. So that's what it was, built, you know, created for. I'll tell you what, Adam, I love that example that you gave, man, about being in that old hotel room and, and opening up that drawer and, and seeing that old Gideon's Bible in there. And then you <laughs> taking that and, and that and making behind the badge uh, a, a similar thing, because I can just imagine, you know, a, a law enforcement officer getting in a patrol car and, and there sits behind the badge and. And they might not have put it there, but but somebody else had put it there and left it there for them. And gosh, man, where did you come up with that that idea? I mean, how did you formulate? Because that's such a powerful <laughs> that's such a powerful well, hole to feel, man. Where'd you come up with that? Shortly after Ferguson, the events of Ferguson, Missouri happened. Um, media was always trashing cops anyway, but things really really kicked into high gear after that. Now it's become to the point to where the cops are the criminals. It doesn't matter who they are, you know, and the facts are less than 1% are going to violate the code of ethics. Less than 1% are going to do something bad outside of what they're supposed to do. Less than 1%, but we vilify the other 99%. And so I sat down one night after I got home, I was, I was going to sit down and just kind of dump some stuff out uh, of my mind and onto not paper, but whatever. We're going to write it out. And I was starting to pray. And I began to complain to God out loud. Like, I'm not crazy, but I started complaining. And I said, you know, God, I'm really sick and tired of people bashing cops. And I'm going to need you to do something about it. I'm really sick of it. And down in here, something said, write a book. And late, I mean, it was like I had a perfectly clear vision of what to write. And that was where Spirit of Truth came from. And so I think that from a very basic level, God honored that obedience and um, with behind the badge. And, you know, we've covered probably 25,000 in the year and a half it's been out, which really isn't nothing, considering there's about a million cops. Uh, my, my dream would be able to give a copy to everybody if I could raise, you know, seven million dollars or whatever it would take to buy a copy for every cop in America and just ship them to every department and say, hey, give them away to whoever wants them, you know, um, but I can't do that right now. Uh, I haven't been able to do it as of yet, but we will one day. And, um, you know, there's new cops being sworn in every day. And it was uh, I think it was just a Holy Spirit inspired idea. And um, I was obedient with it. It's, it's a huge mission. I mean, a big one, but we'll get there. I have total faith that you'll get there, too, just because <laughs> of the way the way that you talk about it, man. Uh, you just that that's the way we should all talk about our missions. Um, it, it, we may not see the way we may not see how we're going to get there, but talk about oh, I'll it. Get there. Talk about <laughs> it just like you're, you're going to get there. There's nothing going to stop mm. you, man. So that's amazing. Yeah. Adam. I, uh, I was talking to, to Marcus recently and uh, between him and, and Taya and Colonel Grossman and so many other people, friends that God has put around me, uh, you know, they say that you're only as good as the company you keep. Well, this year I, uh, I became a lot gooder and gooder ain't a word, but we're going to use it there. <laughs> and so they were talking to me and they said, you know, 
who do you see yourself as in five years? I said, 15, number one, New York Times bestselling books that honor God and honor the people who serve our country in the best of ways, whether abroad or here uh, domestically as cops. They said, well, that's how you should speak. That's how you should act. That's how you should behave. That's not how you should spend, but that's how you should live. That's how you should be. And so that's, that's the way I've started doing things. That's how I approach opportunities. Like I've already got those 15 number one New York Times bestsellers under my belt. I will get there. Uh, I don't know when, but I will get there. And mm. I think that's how we all have to attack it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us, Adam. Love that, my brother. Well, I want to, uh, I want to start to close it up, man. I want to first ask you for the listeners, where can we find you, follow you and, and, and see, and, and see and hear about what's coming next and what's available right now. Yep. So you can go to my website, theadamdavis.com, T-H-E, adamdavis.com. I try to keep it updated, but I do all of it. So uh, it may not be up to date right now. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not. Um, I've got speaking engagements coming up in, um, oh, my gosh, Pensacola, Chicago. Uh, well, not speaking in Chicago. Chicago, uh, Pensacola, Del Rio, Texas, Air Force Base. Uh, a few others next year, Indianapolis, L.A., New York, Chicago. Uh, you go to the website. It's probably the best way. Also, uh, I'm on. Uh, I'm director of outreach for the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Uh, so you can go to chriskylefrogfoundation.org. Uh, check the, check out what we're doing there for marriages. And, um, you know, it's probably the best way to find me is either one of those. Thank you for your time here today, for the wisdom that you dropped on all of us, my man. I know it's got me fired up and and a few of my own missions that that I have talked about, talked directly to you about before. Um, (laughs) I I feel like a lot of the stuff that you've said here, you've been preaching directly to me, and I I need it. Hey, get after it, brother. That's all you can do. Thank you for having me on, man. Roger that, Adam. All right, guys, this is 3 of 7 podcast. Enough said.